Well, good morning, everyone. I think we're going to go ahead and begin here in just a moment. So if you'd like to make your way in and uh, pick up one of our handouts that are on the back on either side, up on the, on the booth on the box back there. If you didn't get one of those and you would like one, I think maybe some people can bring a few extra down. Just raise your hand. But uh, yeah, in on the back right as you come in is our handout for this morning's class. Let's give you a moment to get all set. All right, let's go ahead and pray as we begin this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. God, thank you for this morning that we can come together. Thank you for the church and its sanctifying influence upon us. Thank you for the joy it is to be together with one another. And we pray that you would make it immensely joyful this morning. Thank you that we get to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who gave himself for us to ransom us and to free us from our sins so that we could serve you with a clear conscience. We pray that you might help us to do that even this morning. God, we pray that you'd give us wisdom as we uh, learn this material this morning and uh, that you would help us to grow together in godliness so that you might be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are going to begin this morning uh, a new class in our Sunday school class, and uh, it is what we will call decision-making Uh, Knowing and doing God's will. This is a class on decision-making. Again, knowing and doing God's will. And as you may already simply assume, and as we'll uh, find going throughout this class, not only this morning, hopefully, but also throughout the next several weeks, uh, those two subjects, making decisions and doing God's will, uh, do and really should overlap to basically a perfect degree. Um, We should be always deciding what to do based upon knowing what God wants us to do. The question is, what does God want us to do? What is God's will? What is it going to take from us if we are going to make decisions that align with that? And so I want to begin by considering uh, why this all matters in the first place. Let's think about why it matters that we might Uh, make decisions and might do so biblically. Uh, And there are a couple of passages that I want to read to you. Ephesians 5.17 is the first. Ephesians 5.17, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is what Christians are supposed to be, not foolish, but understanding the will of the Lord. Uh, also in that context, he says we are not to walk as unwise men, but as what? Wise. Uh, not as unwise men, but as wise. Right before that verse in Ephesians five sixteen. Uh, another passage that shows us the importance of knowing and doing God's will, Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And uh, that language there, you may prove what the will of God is. Some of your versions may render it something along the lines of discerning uh, or perhaps even better, testing and uh, discerning, testing and figuring out, um, approving in a positive way, meaning that you not only find out what God's will actually is, 
but that you affirm that it is good and implicitly here then you pursue and actually do that. So we do need to know God's will. Uh, We need to know what the will of the Lord is. Uh, Why does it matter then the way that we make decisions? Tell me some reasons why it matters how we make decisions in light of the importance of knowing God's will, but really just for any reason. Why does it matter to have principles and to understand what the Bible says about making decisions? Just give me some answers. Okay, so scripture gives you guidelines, not, it's not just your own desires, your own feelings, whatever it might be, but we want to do what the Bible actually says on that subject. Yep, good, what else? Why does it matter how we make decisions? Yeah, Terry and then Tim. Yeah, our decisions affect other people, that's right. And all too often we consider just our decisions, how they affect us in a vacuum, but not how they affect other people. Great point. Tim. Yeah, our decisions reflect what we believe, right. So uh, this shows us what we are. We need to get at the bottom of it and make sure that we're operating out of what is actually uh, faith in Scripture, faith in the Lord. Yeah, good Okay, yeah, so consistency comes from actually having a, a good process to do that. Yeah, yeah, so we don't just happen to make a good decision sometimes and a bad decision other times, but yeah, good decisions come from having a, a well-thought-out biblical process. Yeah, good, what else? Why else should we be, uh, give attention to how we make decisions? Okay, maybe let's think about that a little bit more later on. Um, uh, another question for you. What are some common approaches to making decisions or principles for making decisions among people uh, who don't believe the gospel, among unbelieving people? People who aren't really concerned with scripture, uh, they just are unbelievers. What are some of the the, uh, guidelines or principles or practices they use? Yeah, Shin. Follow your heart. Yeah, follow your heart. And and what, is, what does that imply? But, you know, what the true self, you know, what do you really want? And, you know, forget about what other people are thinking. Let's, let's pursue what really your great dreams and aspirations are. And, you know, what you believe is going to be right over and above whatever standards people have held you to. Yeah. What else? Other principles that people who are not Christians use to make their decisions. Okay. Yeah, ease and effectiveness. I, I'd say those are kind of the two competing things, aren't they? It's it's like, do you value what is, you know, seemingly the most enjoyable or the easiest now, or if you're kind of somewhat wise, then what is actually you know 
uh, best in the interest of delayed gratification and not taking the easy way now. But it, there's kind of that push and pull, and it's really just those are the two to the two major things. Yeah, what else? Principles, Bridget. Yeah, so they look to the expert the, uh, who will affirm what they already want to do. Uh, and all too often we do this, and sadly Christians do this as well. We will seek guidance and counsel uh, from people that we kind of already know are going to give us the answer that we want to hear. Um, we might not go to the person that would challenge us. You know, I don't really like that particular person. Um, yeah, and it, we, we go to people whose views we basically already agree with and find somebody who has credibility, credentials, as you said, the experts, you know, quote-unquote experts. And uh, we just find somebody who will tell us what we want to hear. Now, this is true across... All uh, unredeemed humanity, all sinful flesh, it's true even in what we look for in terms of uh, church and scripture and uh, Bible teaching. 2 Timothy 4 tells us about that, right? People will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with what? Their own desires. So this is just something we always do. If we want something, we will find someone who can tell us that it's going to be a good decision. And we'll search until we do that if we feel like we need that validation. Uh, Good. What else? Other ways people make decisions. Tim and Patrick. Yeah, so instant gratification without regard to the financial sort of downstream consequences of that. Mm-hmm. Yep, Patrick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pros and cons. Yeah, and p- people do that kind of thing. And uh, I'm going to uh, argue later on in the next several weeks that something like that is a very good idea to actually know what are the pros and cons and the benefits of things and that perhaps decision making is not quite as mystical as we often make it uh, and that there are a lot of things that we may have in common in terms of certain parts of the process with just anyone and yet there are entire other dimensions that the unbelieving person um, either doesn't consider or actually kind of does consider and then pushes off to the side. Um, there are truths that people know when they are unbelieving because they have a conscience because they're aware of the world around them that God has made uh, and they actually have to suppress certain truths in certain decisions that they make they have to pretend that God doesn't care about what they're doing or at least that he has a different view of what they're doing than he really does they have to change the standard that has been built into their conscience and been built into the the fabric of creation they have to ignore that or suppress it or find someone else who will tell them that what they know to be true is not true in order for them to actually pursue down a path. So in many cases, there's actually an active rejection of what God says in the decision-making process among an unbelieving person. Um, 
for a Christian, it should be the opposite, of course. We should be trying to find out what God actually wants. Again, Ephesians 5, 17, we should understand what the will of the Lord is. We should, Romans 12, 2, test and discern and approve of what God has said rather than rejecting it or being ignorant of it. So, yeah, those are a few things. Uh, thank you for those as far as common approaches that people make uh, in their decisions uh, or to decision-making when they're not Christians. Uh, but I want to consider, kind of as we open up, the, uh, the nature and the subject of the will of God. Because this is right at the heart of everything. The will of God. What does God will? What is God's will? And um, then flowing from that, what is God's will for his people? So I want to consider uh, some dimensions of God's will. We'll call it dimensions or angles on God's will, sort of facets of God's will, uh, maybe another way to put it. Because I don't necessarily like to say, and you'll understand this, uh, I don't like to say something like God has multiple wills. Okay, this is the way that this is sometimes expressed. You'll see what I mean here in just a moment. Uh, and that's not really the idea. But God wills things, he, but he wills them in different ways. And that's what we want to explore. So I want to start with this. Um, the first thing to cover is God's moral will. His moral will or his will of precept. A precept simply being something that he lays out as the right thing to do or as a commandment or as something that he forbids. Um, how much of God's moral will can we as Christians know? What would you say as like a percentage? Patrick? A hundred percent. Okay, a hundred percent, Patrick says. Anybody else? Would you like to bid lower? Okay. Okay. So we have the, the uh, whatever the ratio of scripture is to whatever truth there is. Okay. All right. And so we're going to kind of address that. Um, the, uh, the moral will of God that he insists upon his people knowing is, uh, as Patrick said, 100% revealed in the Bible. So in other words, if God wants us to do something because it is the right thing to do and expects us to do something because it is the right thing to do, then he has laid it out for us in his word. And I want to give you a couple of passages as we go that will demonstrate that. Um, some examples of the moral will of God. Can anyone think of a passage that tells us, uh, talks about the will of God in this moral sense of what God wants us to do? What God expects us to do, what he commands us to do. Exodus 20, okay? And Exodus 20 talks about the Ten Commandments. That's right. You shall not this. You shall not that. Okay, this is what God wants and insists upon from us. Do not do this. Do this. These are the things God wants us to do. Great. So, uh, Ten Commandments. What else? Okay, so his testimonies, and yeah, as it goes through Psalm 119, where do we find those? They're in his law, they're in his word, they're in what he has written down. That's right. Um, yeah, go ahead. Mm -hmm. 
That's right, yeah, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, right? This is the will of God, your sanctification. And he's not just saying that, you know, he wants that to happen in general, but he gives the uh, implied command that you should do something about that. You should act in a holy way, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, and so on. Uh, So God has an eternal purpose for believers that they would become sanctified, and he's going to make sure that happens. So as we'll see in a moment, that is also part of God's sovereign will. But it is something that he wants us to do. It is something that he commands us to do. It is part of his moral will. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 is another passage that's right there nearby. Uh, And really it kind of is the cap of three verses, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This does not simply mean that God is going to make sure that that happens. This means God wants you to do these things. This is what it means for God to have a moral will for us. 1 Peter 2.15, I'll read, um, I'll read that to you as well. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. God wants us to do what is right and thereby to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Uh, So those are just some passages that talk directly about the will of God. But as Sarah pointed out, the Ten Commandments, the Sermon on the Mount, really anywhere where there's a command given, something that's forbidden, something that's required, anything where God says, I want you to be this way, and then puts that obligation upon us to respond in our faith, in our knowledge, in our listening, in our hearing, in our talking, in our doing, in our not doing. If there is some response or some activity that's required on our part that God tells us to do and it's right or wrong, depending on how we respond, then that is God's moral will for us or his will of precept. And as we'll see, everything that he expects us to do along those lines is written down in his word for us. So if he has not told us that in his word, then it is his and it is his alone. And we are really in one sense not to worry about it because he does not expect us to know to do it. Um, So that's God's moral will. Let me talk about the other side of what scripture refers to as the will of God. And then we'll take some questions and then talk about um, another thing that sometimes gets added. Okay, so the second part would be God's sovereign will. God's sovereign will or his will of decree. His will of decree. Now, the meaning of God's sovereign will as opposed to what God wants us to do, the sovereign will of God would include anything that God either allows to happen or chooses to do. So everything that God allows to happen and or chooses to do. Basically, If it happens in God's universe, then in this sense, it is the will of God. Now, this is very different than God's moral will. When God's moral will is violated, that displeases him. When God's moral will is followed, that pleases him. But God's sovereign will is not really about every little detail of that pleasing him in every sense. Um, there's an, just let me give you an example of something that God intended to happen that was his will uh, to happen and yet was very uh, displeasing to him in certain ways. In uh, Matthew 26, 
You're free to turn there. Uh, A familiar passage, I think, and a familiar story with regard to God's will. But in Matthew 26, Jesus is praying. And he says in verse 39 about Jesus, He went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Not as I will, but as you will. Okay, so this is one side of what God wants here. God has actually planned and God has made a decision that Jesus would go to the cross. There is for Jesus specifically the moral element of God's will, which was to obey that instruction that was given to him. Okay, so in this sense, for Jesus specifically, it was God's moral will for him to obey and go to the cross rather than running away or finding some way out. He was deferring to what God prescribed for him. So Jesus had what he would have liked to do in a vacuum, which was to not suffer. And yet he said, I'm going to obey everything that God has told me to do specifically as the Messiah, as the Son of God, having been sent into this world. Okay, so that's kind of on one side when it talks about God's will with regard to the cross. Uh, That is the moral side in a sense. But we also then see the other side of the equation when we go over to Acts chapter 2. And in Acts 2 verse 23, Peter is speaking to the Jews and he says this about the crucifixion. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God... You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Peter goes on a few verses later, actually several in verse uh, 38. And he says to those same people, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent of what? Repent of having nailed him to the cross. By the hands of godless men. The Jews that Peter was speaking to on that day of Pentecost in Acts 2 were the people who had nailed Jesus to the cross by the hands of godless men. Something that was very displeasing in and of itself to God. Extremely displeasing. It was something that we know is displeasing because Peter told them they needed to repent of having done that. So in that sense, it was not God's will at all that they would crucify him. It was against God's moral will. It was evil. It needed to be repented of. But we learn from verse 23 that this was done by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. God intended for this to happen. God planned and in one very important sense, God willed that Jesus would be crucified. So at the same time, what you have is God being very displeased by something. He does not will for people to do evil. And yet in his sovereign will, he very much wanted this to happen and made sure that it happened. This was done according to the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. So what you have here then is a picture of both of these things going on. Man violating God's will of precept, his moral will, what is right and wrong. But God still being sovereign over everything and making sure that what he intends to happen, plans to happen, actually comes to pass. 
So the sovereign will of God is this. It is everything that God allows or chooses to do. Now, as opposed to the moral will of God, which is entirely revealed upon the pages of Scripture, as far as we need to know, as far as God expects us to follow anything, uh, the sovereign will of God is not so well known. Um, We can know certain elements and certain components of God's sovereign will. Um, Tell me, what are the, the portions of God's sovereign will that we can know? His will of decree. What can we know of what God wills in that sense? And how can we know it? Okay. Okay. Okay, great. So we can know what he has revealed in Scripture, anything that he has told us in Scripture that he has done. And yes, we can even know things that have not happened yet with absolute certainty that are God's sovereign will. Uh, Again, you read the book of Revelation. There's a lot going on in Revelation that God does not like in the sense of moral evil. Okay, and that's part of why what happens in the book of Revelation happens because he's bringing punishment upon the world for doing this evil. But it is his intention that those things would happen. And it is his plan that they will happen and it is part of his sovereign will. They will happen. Okay, good. Is there anywhere else that we can learn what God's will of decree is? Everybody dies? Okay. Yeah. And where do we learn that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that second part, it, it does, right? It happens. Okay, things happen. We can know, if you're here, it was God's sovereign will for you to be here this morning. Okay, this didn't, you didn't have to have anything tell you that. The fact that you are here means God sovereignly intended for you to be here. Um, if you, you know, went yesterday someplace just, I don't know, to do whatever you were doing yesterday, um, God intended in his sovereign will for you to be there. Now, God may or may not have been pleased with why you went and what you were doing. You may or may not have been following his will of precept in doing that. So you might have been doing moral evil, and yet in God's sovereign will, he intended or he planned and made sure that you were there. So God's sovereign will, his will of decree, is basically everything that happens. Um, We can know things that happen then, and we can say this was God's will. We can say it was God's will for these chairs to be put into this auditorium. We can say that it was God's will for uh, whatever the weather is. We can say that it was God's will in that sense of God was and is and always will be in charge and nothing happens outside of his control. Um, Where we get into trouble on this, among other places, is interpreting those decisions uh, on our own and interpreting those circumstances on our own to mean that God uh, was only doing what we can see on the surface or that God intends for us to have some moral takeaway from the fact that these other events happened. We'll talk about this more later on, but uh, interpreting providence, interpreting God's sovereign working 
throughout the normal course of history is a very dangerous game. And this is why we need scripture because we need something to actually help us to have an infallible interpretation of the world around us rather than our own interpretation of the world around us. In fact, this is exactly what First Peter, or excuse me, Second Peter 1 warns against when it says no prophecy of scripture is ever given by human interpretation. What Peter is referring to there is the fact that prophets didn't just look at the world and say, well, this is what I think all these events mean. Instead, the scripture is the spirit of God making sure that they write down the proper interpretation of what's going on in the world and, of course, what will happen in the future. So we need to be very careful that we don't read into the things that God does in his sovereign will and say, that's what he wants me to do on the basis of that thing that happened. Again, we'll talk more about that uh, a little bit later today and hopefully as we go along. Um, A few passages that talk about God's sovereign will... A lot of this is based upon uh, his language that basically is about whether God allows something to happen or whether God sort of, you know, whether this, this results in happening, whether it simply results in happening. Um, Romans 1 verse 10, Paul says, uh, always in my prayers making requests, if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. What Paul is doing when he says that is saying, I want to come to Rome. I desire to come to Rome. I don't really know whether or not this is pleasing to God in and of itself above going anywhere else. That's not really Paul's concern. He just wants to go there. He wants to preach the gospel. He has his reasons. But to date, God has not let that happen. God has not brought that about. So Paul says, I'm praying that God may actually allow and bring that about for me to go to Rome. Um, the same thing happens in uh, Acts 18.21 when he says, I'm going to return to Ephesus if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. So uh, these kinds of things, if God allows for this to happen. Um, there are other things that God intends to do and make sure that he brings about, which is not really about what he tells us to do. Romans 9, for example. Uh, Romans 9, verse 22 Romans 9, 22. Uh, What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? That word willing to demonstrate his wrath, that's the idea. God wishing something, God desiring something. And it's not that he is asking us to do it. It's that God is choosing to do this. God has this desire and he is expressing it in time and space. He is bringing this about because he simply wants to. This is his act his choice it doesn't really have anything directly to do with whether or not we do something right or wrong Um, first corinthians 12 18 god sovereignly distributes the gifts to the church just as he willed this is what god chose to do there are several others that i could mention you might look at uh first peter 3 17 or ephesians 1 9 about some of the things that God either allows or the things that he's doing, that he reveals. Uh, There's one more. Let me show you this. James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Starting in verse 13. Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. What's the issue here? Uh, They are making plans as if 
their intention is actually the determining factor as to whether or not it will come about. And what James is saying is the trump card on everything is, does the Lord will for this to happen? And he's not telling them, you know, you need to stop and think, is this a righteous thing or an unrighteous thing that I'm doing? Now, that's implied in anything that we do. We should do something right. But James is not telling them, hey, you know, guys, you really should consider whether that city you're going to is the one God wants you to go to. Or you really should consider whether this is a good thing that you're going after. Again, we should try to make sure we're doing the things that are moral as opposed to immoral. But what he's saying is, you're just talking like you're going to keep living. And you're just assuming that. And that's not what you're in charge of. Only God is in charge of that. And you're going to talk, you're talking like these plans of yours can happen as if your intention is the only one that matters. Says No, God's will is what you need to make sure that you're thinking of all the time. So it is that people will um, often append the initials DV, you know what I'm talking about, to a lot of things, DV. It is short for, and I'm, I may get this a little bit wrong, but basically the gist is the Latin term for uh, Lord willing. If the Lord wills. James 4.15. If the Lord wills. So instead of saying, this will happen tomorrow, we say, this will happen tomorrow if the Lord wills. Lord willing. Now, we don't have to actually say this literally with everything we do. Uh, Honey, I'm leaving. I'm going out to the bank. Lord willing. You know, I'm going to go start the car, Lord willing. I'm going to go make dinner, Lord willing. This could get a little bit uh, obnoxious if you do this with every single statement of intention that you make. But it certainly should be in your head, shouldn't it? Not even that you're consciously thinking those words every single time, but there ought to be an awareness that everything that we do takes place under the sovereign hand of God and that we are under his control, not under our own control. And we ought to just have some humility about that. And that's what James says here. Instead of being arrogant, we need to defer and and humble ourselves under the fact that God is the one who is sovereign. Uh, A passage that summarizes the difference between these two things is Deuteronomy 29, 29. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the words of this law. There are a lot of things that are secret. God has not told us certain things about himself. God has not told us certain things about his plans for the future. God has not told us certain things about why this event happened, why that event happened, why did this tragedy strike here, why did this good thing happen here, why did these people meet, why did this thing happen in this situation. He hasn't told us those things. They are secret. But the things revealed belong to us so that we may observe all the words of this law. So whatever God has told us, we're supposed to carry these things out faithfully. Okay, questions about these two so far, about the sovereign will of God and the moral will of God. Again, these terms are just, uh, it's hard to pin down exactly what the best kind of terminology would be, but hopefully that gives you a little framework. Questions about that? Yes, Cindy? Mm-hmm. 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 
Yeah, yeah, permission versus just making it happen. Um, I probably would actually just use, I would use the language of uh, both sides of that, that he, that he allows people to do things that go against his will and that he also is uh, involved in every single thing that happens so that he makes sure that he brings about a particular end. Um, and Ephesians 1.11 would be an example of that, how he works all things according to the counsel of his will. Um, one, uh, another example that you guys should know would be Genesis 50, verse 20, where uh, Joseph had been sold into slavery, but, and uh, they're worried that he's going to take vengeance on them now that he's in power and their father is dead. He says, as for me, you meant, it, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Um, God intended this to happen for good, even though it was an evil act. God made sure that this happened. It's very obvious, too, throughout the course of the story, you know, um, that this didn't just happen. You know, this is clearly God at work here. So, yeah, the, uh, and even um, Jesus going to the cross, you know, he made sure that this happened. So, yeah, the, the idea of allowing would be more of like moral permission for people to do whatever they ultimately choose in the sense of not, um, people are allowed to do evil within what God makes sure happens. So, is that... Does that better clarifying what you're what you're after? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's no moral element involved in the, the tree itself, right? Falling on, falling on him. Um, but did God, you know, depending on how, you, yeah, did, did he hit him with the tree? Okay, yes, okay. Well, I mean, did God pick it up and slam it in, you know, in, in a, an unusual way or something like that? I, I think this is part of uh, the providential things that God causes to happen that God is absolutely in charge of. Did he intend for this to happen? Yeah. He intended for this to happen. Um, did he use um, supernatural means or, uh, well, first of all, just that. Did he use supernatural means to do that? Did he, you know, um, step in and invade the laws of the universe? Or did he ensure that this particular tree was, you know, dying and falling over at exactly that time when he would be there? Which, frankly, to me is, you know, every bit as impressive as doing the supernatural thing. Um, yeah, so I've lost my train of thought a little bit on that. But um, did he hit, you know, I, I don't know that I would necessarily use that language exclusively anyway. Like, I think in a certain sense, God does everything that happens. You know, did God bring us here this morning? Yes, he did. Um, and so in that sense, yes. Um, did God, there's, there's a, a way in which we can take... Um, there's a way in which we can take things and only want to see one side of it. So like when people are asking, did he do this, right? There's, there's a way in which they kind of reduce it down to their particular moral qualm or moral issue. And I think part of understanding God's sovereignty is making sure that we frame it in the way that he does as opposed to the way that we might want, the narrow thing that we might want to focus on. Uh, just as an extreme example of that, people uh, will go and say, does God create people to go to hell? Right? They, he will put them in that term. And then they will reduce that to the logical steps of, well, God created these people. God knows the future. Um, he knew what they would be like. And he knows that he's going to send them to hell if they don't 
repent and believe the gospel. So therefore, uh, God made these people to send them to hell. And that's kind of like the only window that they can see it through. And what I'm saying is the same thing with regard to events that happen to us, a tree falling on your son, uh, whatever it might be, that in a certain sense, yes, it's true. God hit him with the tree, right? Um, but there's just a way that we ought to fill that out in talking about it, that it needs a little more nuance. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if that, I don't know if that helps you respond to people directly that are asking you that. But, uh, but I would just simply say on something like that, um, first of all, recognizing God is in charge. No accidents happen in that sense. That God intends for good for his people. That God is able to use these things for his good. And that um, God uses all kinds of means, whether they are immoral people, moral people, natural, quote-unquote, things, uh, natural disasters, whatever they might be, to bring about what he wants. So he's not limited in any of those things. So is that kind of what you're going for? Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's got it's it's Job uh, three, isn't it? That you know, I think it's chapter three. Shall we accept good from the Lord and not evil? Right? Are we going to take the good things and not the bad? Um, the thought there is that yeah, God has sovereignly brought this about and even then what's interesting is that the evil happened because of the agency of satan in that case you know um toward job uh and yet job is saying look god sovereignly brought about these good things for me he sovereignly brought about these bad things for me and i'm giving him credit in a certain sense for both of those things yeah and you're willing to do that yeah good that God is after his own glory, as underpins it all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, the wonderful thing about that is, for a Christian, that on the scale, on the time frame of eternity, that he has bound up his glory in the good of his people. So we can know that even the worst thing that happens in this life is part of his good intention for us. This is Romans 8, 28, right? God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Um, and so we uh, are able to say that God not only um, seeks his glory first and foremost along with our good, but also that he has uh, promised to do that and that if he does not bring about our eternal good through these things, if we're Christians, then he actually will not receive the glory that he deserves. So we can take comfort in that, knowing that God's uh, intention to glorify himself and his intention to do good for us as Christians are in zero 
way at odds with one another. So now, as far as the ranking and the structuring of those things, you know, God's glory comes first. And uh, in terms of that is, this is why all things exist. And yet, it's just wonderful that we are, uh, we get to ride along on the coattails of that pursuit by, uh, with a God who truly loves us in every way and does good for us. So, yeah, yeah, good thoughts. Yeah, Philip. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is both, there is allowing, right? Allowing is an essential component because there is permission uh, to do something and, um, again, not moral permission, but just simply permission. Like, yeah, I'm not going to stop you from doing that evil thing. Um, so that's one element of that. I do, that's right. You need, there needs to be that component of that because there is uh, moral culpability on the side of the person who is not doing what God has said. So there needs to be that terminology. And at the same time, we couple it with the idea that God absolutely intends for in his plan and guarantees that everything will happen, including not only the good, but also the bad. So God is going to make sure that those things happen. Part of the agency that he uses is the evil intention and actions of evil people and uh, the uh, uh, unfortunate or, you know, temporally speaking, unfortunate events such as you guys are talking about the, the tree, right? So he uses things that are not uh, what we would prefer in the moment and which are not uh, optimal in and of themselves, whether moral or non-moral, and uh, he uses those things intentionally, but he also does allow for things to happen as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Good. Yeah, Patrick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you think of any specific examples of that? Because I agree with you. That I, I do hear that, but I'm just having trouble putting that into. Uh, I, it's okay if you can't. I'm just. I just think that might help because um, I'm trying to think of some as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's a good example. Yeah. And I think even um, on Patrick's thing, are you referring to somebody chooses to do a, an immoral thing and then later says, well, God was sovereign over that anyway, and therefore. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Yep. Have a hand over here and then. Yep. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so God can, still, God can still use all kinds of things, can't he? And that's one of the amazing things about God is he actually can use evil men's acts to bring about his intended purpose. Um, again, Joseph is an example of that. You meant it for evil, my brothers. God meant it for good. The cross, they meant it for evil. They were trying to get rid of Jesus. God intended this, obviously, for even greater good. Bridget, does he... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, blame it on God as an excuse to not, as if, as if you didn't contribute and as if you can't do anything about it yourself. Yeah, it's kind of the, the supposedly sanctified version of it is what it is. You know, you just, this is what it's going to be. Yeah, because God's sovereign, you know, that's, that's his domain. That's his territory. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's a great example of with, when it comes to salvation. God's uh, will that would please him in every single person is hearing and believing the gospel. That's what would delight him in the direct sense. And yet God, for purposes that we don't really necessarily understand, um, we have some hints here and there, Romans 9, uh, that the passage that I read in verse 22 and others, you know, God displaying his glory in certain ways, God helping us understand what it really is like to be saved. That for whatever reason, God has uh, determined to uh, do and to guarantee and to allow things that do not fit with the choice that he tells us ourselves to make and so he has created a world in which basically sin can happen um, that's really the gist of it and that's been true all the way from the very beginning and uh, it will be true until God makes all things new so yeah great example there Matt yeah yeah Tracy
Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, about him. Yeah, Pharaoh hardening his heart. If I recall correctly, that in the account in Exodus of Pharaoh hardening his heart and his heart being hardened, uh, five times it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Five times it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And it's basically just telling, you know, it's giving you, okay, this is this angle on what's happening. This is this angle. Here's Here's this part of it, and here's this part of it, and both are true. And actually, in both these cases, it would seem to me that both things are happening. Um, but there's human responsibility for the evil, and then there is God's sovereignty in being able to do these things, being able to do whatever he wants. Um, so this is, yeah, God's sovereign will and then God's moral will. In that case, being violated as part of God's sovereign will. In other cases, uh, people do respond in godly ways. And that's what we want to be doing. Now... Uh, we will have to pick up next time on something. I just want to give you a little bit of an idea of where we'll be going with this. Uh, there are, uh, in, there is, rather, in the mind of many, many Christians, uh, a certain kind of third will of God, a third category of the will of God that people look for, which is what we will call God's individual will for your life. And I'm going to argue uh, that this way of thinking is not in line with the scripture and is not something that you should be seeking after and uh, that there is an alternative path for doing what God wants you individually to do. So uh, we'll talk about all of the different ways that people express this. Let me just, just a couple of these would be something like, um, the safest place in the world is right in the middle of God's will. Have you ever heard phrases like that? Um, it is, I don't want to be outside of God's will for me. I want to find God's will for my life. And sometimes where that goes is not that we would understand who God is and his sovereignty as much as it's been revealed. It is not that we would know what God expects morally of all Christians and thereby for us, but that there is some type of discoverable plan it may be hard to discover it may not be as certain as some other things but there's something out there that God wants me to know and if I don't do it then I'm either sinning or I'm missing out on God's best for me and so I've got to find it and there are all kinds of ways that people try to find that that we'll talk about but that is the idea again I would argue this is an erroneous way of understanding God's will but the idea that of God's individual will for your life um, and I'll address that and all kinds of uh, reasons why we might object to uh, getting rid of something like that. 
Uh, I want to show you how much God does still care about you and does still care about every decision that you make along the way. But uh, we'll talk about that particular view next time and what the Bible has to say about it. So let me close us in prayer for this morning and then we'll come back next time. God, thank you for uh, this time together today. Thank you that you have revealed yourself so, uh, so deeply, so broadly in your word. Give us an earnest desire and ability to understand what you have said and to know what you have said. And help us to submit to you and to do uh, what you have said. To say, not our will, but yours be done. That whatever you command, whatever you instruct, we will follow there. And that we will trust whatever your sovereign will is. And we pray that you would be glorified in our response to that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.